very appreciative of the uh, banner that we've had the last few weeks, as well as the images, that, that point out the importance of a root system. This series, Deeply Rooted, has tried to accomplish a few things. We first of all talked about the importance of self-awareness, knowing your feelings and thoughts and attachments that sometimes get in the way of God's transforming power in your life. And then last week we talked about how you grow in that deepening knowledge of God and how important it is to keep that balance between the God who is far and distant and majestic, but also a God who is near and with us and came and walked among us. Today, if you want an image that I think describes what I want to accomplish today, it, it, it's the one of a tree where, you know, you plant a new tree and you know that its root system hasn't got established yet, so you put some stakes in the ground, you tie some lines so that when those winds come, it can withstand them. And we share it because we know that our spiritual lives are not lived out in a vacuum. We know that life will sometimes throw challenges at us, sometimes hit us even with tragedy. And how will we withstand that, especially when we're young in our faith? So I hope what's shared today might be helpful to you wherever you might be in your faith journey. So I want to begin by talking about the scripture that was just read about James. You may not be aware that James almost didn't get into the Bible. There was some debate among the early church fathers whether it belonged or not. Some didn't see enough grace in it. Even Martin Luther didn't like the book. But it did get in. And the little bit we know about, we really don't know who wrote it, but we believe it was written somewhere about 90 A.D. to 110 A.D., at the end of that first century, when the church is now becoming established. And it's written to a specific group of people. You might remember the phrase that said, to the 12 tribes, which refers to the people of Israel, scattered outside of Israel. It's making reference to an episode that happened in 70 A.D., when the Jews had rebelled against the Roman authorities, they came in and squashed that rebellion, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and destroyed the temple, and sent Jews scattering all over the Roman Empire. So the people that this book is written to is the faithful who are trying to get reestablished, almost like refugees in a sense. And it's not been easy. The Romans don't understand this belief in one God, and the traditional Jews who also are living around them aren't making life very comfortable for them, so life is tough. And what James does for them as well as for us is he reframes this idea of these trials that come into our lives. He, just, he suggests to us that these trials are tests and that these tests should be seen as occasions of joy. Now, how do you feel about that? Now, certainly even those first readers had a struggle with that. How are you supposed to see it as joy when you're like a refugee in this world trying to establish yourselves in a new place and make a new home? But the writer of James understands there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is something that, that rises and falls depending on the circumstances of your life. Happiness comes when your favorite team wins. Happiness comes when your child does something great. Happiness comes when something good happens at work. But joy is something that is constant and is there even when things are not going well. Joy requires a certain amount of faith. It understands that whatever is happening to you right now, whether it's good or bad, is not the whole story. It's just part of the story. And somehow, in some way, God will take this circumstance and put it to work into the purposes of your life 
as well as his overall life for all of creation. Now, I, I don't want to minimize these tragedies in our lives. It says in Romans 8, all things work for the good of those who trust in Christ Jesus. And we know sometimes life hits us hard. This week has been a painful reminder that our staff has been certainly shaken by the losses in the Oberhart family. Uh, Macy's very loved by the youth group and our youth leaders. And it, you just can't help but have an experience like it and stop and ask why, especially these circumstances where the family's driving home from celebrating a birthday and then their car is struck by another vehicle who's fleeing after robbing a pizza hut, trying to flee police. It's just something that should not happen, and yet it does. James doesn't try to minimize that. He simply helps us to try to reframe it and suggest to us that when we come at faith, no matter what has happened, somehow we know that God is there, God is with us. It's okay to ask why. It's okay to struggle with that doubt, but know that somehow God surrounds this situation. A good image, I think, is given for us as we come back to the tree and rethink what we see. Uh, Gerard Forsythe shares this image because he says, too often, we often see our spiritual journey as this stairway or stepladder up to God, just step by step. It's always upward and onward. And either we're going closer to God or we're moving farther away from God. But he says, think about a tree. When you look at a tree, especially when you cut it off and you look at the stump or, or a section out of it, you notice there's wide rings and there's narrow rings. And what, happen, what is happening in the life of that tree when the rings are wide? It's a time of rapid growth, right? It's a time of intense growth. It means everything's been plentiful. The resources have been there and it's grown fast. But what's happening when the rings are narrow? And it could be one of a couple things. One, it could be that the, root, the tree is simply taking this time to establish its root system a little stronger so that it can grow taller. Or it means it's been a lean time, an arid time, not enough water, and so it's, it's struggled. But in either circumstance, the wood that is narrow is stronger than the wood that is wide. The wood that is narrow is stronger than the wood that is wide. And that's what gives the tree its strength. And what a fitting analogy for us as we think about our spiritual journeys. That when we sometimes think God seems far away, as long as we are continuing our spiritual disciplines, even those dry times can be helpful times. And the spiritual greats have experienced that as well. Martin Luther had his struggles. Mother Teresa fought depression her entire life, and yet look what all she accomplished. St. John of the Cross wrote one of the most powerful spiritual writings you'll ever read in the 16th century when he wrote The Dark Night of the Soul. Those lean times, those dry times in our life are also a time when God is working, and often they are the things that are making us stronger. Now, when those things come along, especially when we're young in our faith, it's vital and it's important to realize to anticipate these winds that will come. Christopher Markle describes three different types of winds. There are more, but these might be the major ones. He says the first one is the wind of prosperity, probably the most dangerous one for us. 
when everything's going well, when life is abundant, resources are great, everything's going well, the danger is that you get to the point that you forget where those blessings come from. And you begin to think that, that you're the one who has made all that possible. And certainly, our choices in life have a lot to do with that, but even those choices sometimes were made possible because we were raised in good homes, we were taught responsibility. It's so important. I notice in my spiritual life, the times that I, I, I begin to experience greatest success is when I often fall down and make mistakes, and I'm humbled. And the wind of fear, and Marco suggests that comes along in part because we become dependent on that prosperity, whether it's possessions or position or reputation. We begin to think it's something that we have to have. And then we begin to worry when some of that seems to slip away, when things aren't going quite so well. Jesus is aware of that. But he says to us, he says to us that, that don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Be wary of that fear. Don't let it control you. So often those fears are unfounded, and even if they do occur, God has other options. He has other alternatives for us. I encourage you to do that what-if game in your life. And imagine if you look at it with God's eyes, he'll, he'll have another possibility for you always. And the last one is the wind of adversity. Because sometimes, sometimes things do happen. Sometimes tragedies do hit. Almost all of us, somewhere in our life, are going to get hit somewhere, somehow. And then how will we deal with it? And I hope when it occurs that you'll be kind to yourself. That you'll realize that no matter how important or trivial that attachment was, it has become a part of who you are. It's become a part of your identity. And you'll need God's help to help you rework your identity to found it on something more enduring and more eternal. And God will be there for you. So how, just, just let me share a few quick things as we wrap up today on how we make sure we withstand the winds that blow that, that tree. And the first thing comes from Christopher Markle once again. He says to us to count our blessings. He shares an exercise that he went through. Someone offered the challenge of thinking of three blessings every day for 21 straight days. So he took that challenge on. And he said there would be some days I might skip it or just get busy, so I'd double up and get six the next day. But he, he remained true to that exercise, followed it through for 21 days. He wrote them down. You couldn't repeat one that you'd mentioned before. He said it was hard at first. But as he kept doing it, he got better at it. When he got done, he had 63 different things that he was thankful for. They considered blessings. And he realized that it had an impact on him. He found it was easier to see and spot those blessings because his mind was geared that way. He also noticed that there was greater happiness in his life because he had stopped to ponder those. And then he found himself experiencing new insights and stories that he wanted to pass along and share with other people, which continued to reinforce that new attitude that he had. So count your blessings. Find whatever method works for you to make sure you see the good that God is already doing in your life. The second thing I'd recommend is to do some study 
an understanding, get a framework of how God is working in this world. It's a complicated situation. Some think God controls everything, but I think if you live very long, you realize it, it, it's not that easy. So I encourage you to read a book like Leslie Weatherhead's book, The Will of God, a classic book, or, or read Harold Kushner's Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, or get into a Bible study about the book of Job and, and realize that even Job never was told why those bad things happened. He was simply given the promise of God's comfort. But somehow you need to figure out how God negotiates human free will with how he's active in the world. And it's not a simple process. It's not a simple explanation. And do it not only for yourself, but do it on behalf of someone that you may be called to relate to or minister to who is being hit by a tragedy. If nothing else, it'll keep you from saying something really stupid. And that might take, it might minimize their pain. And then they reject the God that you've come to believe in. And the last thing also comes from our image of the tree. Someone sent to me a podcast on networks. And they sent it to me because of last week's sermon. And it reminded of it because the podcast started out talking about a new discovery they had about trees. Uh, one scientist decided to inject a substance that was radioactive into the root of a tree to see what happened with it. Because she had a theory. And, and to, her, to, to justify her theory, she discovered as she took a Geiger counter that made that static noise that she could take that counter to another tree, even sometimes of a different species, and she discovered that radioactive substance had been transferred to that other tree. And so the theory has been changed, whereas most people thought all trees were in for themselves, kind of the evolutionary approach of survival of the fittest, now they discover there's a network, and they're under the ground helping each other. They even discover that, that older trees would sometimes give away some of its resources of light and water and nutrients to the younger trees of its own species so that it could thrive as well. And those of us who know God know that really shouldn't surprise us. God is like his creation, and the same thing is true for us as well. We need those networks. So I encourage you to find that community. It will give you the strength to have people surrounding you to walk with you through life's joys and also through its trials. And I know many of you have experienced that. I know we've had some great groups in this church. I know on Sunday morning we experienced it somewhat with the fellowship. I love those of you who are out there welcoming the stranger to make sure that they feel that this can become their church family as well. I love how the Apostle Paul describes it. This is to me what the body of Christ should look like. When one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part gets the glory, all the parts celebrate with it. That's what we're called to be, and that's what we'll find strength when we face these winds that blow into our lives. So I hope that you can reframe your trials in life, to see them as tests that can become the endurance and maturity that God's trying to bring into your life. I hope that you anticipate the winds that are bound to come and find the resources that will help you withstand those winds and give you the strength that you need in this life.